rotten! <laughs> Coming up in this episode, it's all havoc as we release the Dogs of War. Huzzah! How about that then? All that and more in this exciting episode of, with lots of backflips, Doctor Who... Uh, the Complete Menagerie. Almost! We're talking about uh, Havoc, the, the stunt man or the stunt persons of Doctor Who in the 1970s. But before we get on to that... I think we need to just, just pause for a moment and just uh, talk about um, uh, a celebrity, an actor, Doctor Who actor, of, who's very close to our hearts, mm. Mr Paul Darrow, who recently departed, mm. um, shuffled off his mortal coil. Um, but he is someone that we've admired for quite some time, Jensen. We were hoping to have him on the pod at yes. some point, but uh, it was never to be, which no. is a shame. Mm. Yeah, I, I, a it, it's, 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 an, it's very sad news. I mean, uh, long-term listeners of our pod will know that Paul Darrow has been a part of our podcast since day one yeah. because he he's introduced um, the Time Lash. Mm. Prepare the Time Lash. Very good. Oh, but it's all been arranged. <laughs> and we take great pleasure in impersonating him in the pub. Never mind on the podcast. <laughs> Ordering our drinks in the manner of Avon. Yes, you know, as as I think uh, Colin Baker says on the commentary to um, uh, 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 Time, 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 what's it called? Time Lash. Lash. The Time Lash. <laughs> <laughs> on the Time Lash, Colin says rather uh, acerbically, so, Paul, do you think that uh, style of acting will ever come back in fashion? <laughs> uh, which I think is uh, probably one of Colin Baker's finest moments. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, and, of course, Darrow is howling with laughter. Yeah, because he's, he's talking about himself. Or, or, or both of them, yeah. <laughs> Every Everything. Mm. Uh, and Paul Darrow was one of those actors who I remember when I first met Greg um, many moons ago, uh, he was one of the first topics of discussion. 2008. <laughs> we were exchanging whether we decide. Greg always has this thing where he go, he doesn't say it's a pleasure to meet you until he's met you. <laughs> and then he's made an assessment. And then he says it's a pleasure to meet you. Yes, right uh, to weigh it up. <laughs> I deliberately ask people awkward questions. <laughs> and Greg said it was... My way of I, won't, I won't tell you which questions I asked <laughs> you'll have to find out but he, he said it was a pleasure to meet me after he met me um, and Paul Darrow was one of those subjects um, yes. uh, to, he put me through clearing and I passed <laughs> it's and, true it's so true and uh, this is why I don't have many friends <laughs> <laughs> but um, Paul Darrow was one of the things we licked over in addition to, to Bob Peck and, and Dennis Lill and Dennis Lill mm -hmm. yes Dennis Lill and all, all talked about and Greg's description of Paul Darrow uh, really sums it up for me. It was he said, it doesn't matter what Paul's doing or how bad Paul is or how good he is, he's always giving 100%. Yes. And he does in, in yeah. everything he does. You're, you're always watching him. He's like Steve McQueen. Yeah. Br just brilliant and charismatic. But the the king of upstaging. Shameless. Very, very naughty. Yeah. Actors are not meant to upstage. But when he's playing Avon, he isn't always uh, playing it large. He can be quite... Oh, yes. Quiet and not really sort of move around too much, but he's in the background. But he knows full well that all eyes are on him. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. No matter what he's doing, people are watching him. 
And that really is a sign of a star, you know, that star mm. quality, I think. Mm. He, is, as Avon in those first two seasons, he's the best thing in Blake 7. I, I, I revisited it fairly recently. Um, and Was that because Paul died? Or it was when Paul died. I had not watched Blake 7 for about four or five years. I mean, of course, I bought the DVD box sets as they came out, I think, from 2002. Um, they, they started releasing all 2001. Mm. Um, and I'd worked my way through them. I'd seen them before on UK Gold in the Morning, thanks to a friend that had satellite television. And revisiting them was an absolute pleasure. And Paul, in those first two seasons, as one of the seven, he just he is the one you're watching all the time. Mm. By the time in season four where he's he's the star of the show, it's 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 rather amusing <laughs> to put it mildly. He's enjoying himself a bit too much, but it's still it's still great fun. Mm. But it's just his delivery. It's just mm. his style of talking. And I remember reading his biography um, about five or six years ago. You're him, aren't you? You're him, aren't you? There's, uh, he was concerned about his voice not having enough gravitas, so he started smoking excessively, really? which was a habit for the rest of his life, which I think may have contributed to his, his circulation problems. Yes, yeah, almost certainly. Uh, and he, his last years of his life were, to put it mildly, very difficult. Yeah. He was very brave. He mm. lost. Um, he nearly died. He lost both of his legs. Um, he continued working. He appeared on television. Um, uh, very bravely on Celebrity Pointless Celebrity Pointless and he was charming on that and we could see he was not in the best of health and he he died fairly recently of uh, a short illness which I'm sure was related to his long term health conditions Mm. but he never stopped working he never stopped replying to fan mail he was Mm. the consummate professional fans loved him and he loved his fans and I met him once and I think I mentioned it on the podcast he just turned up at a Doctor Who convention in 2002 because he was around. Mm. And they sent him there, I think it was Forbidden Planet, to do to sign some Blake 7 merchandise. And I was there working um, on the administration counter, handing out the lanyards and, and the ID badges, which is the most boring job. And Paul Darrow turned up in uh, a silver suit, essentially, looking like he was about to do an Allied carpet sack. <laughs> <laughs> and I shit you not, I said... You're Avon, aren't you? <laughs> and he said, right. he went, yes, I am. <laughs> and more importantly, who are you? <laughs> I thought, perfect character. He was, he was there, and he was, I spoke to him for half an hour, and he was such a highlight of that day. He was wonderful, and he didn't do anything apart from wander around the convention, mm. talking to people, yeah. making pe- people feel good about themselves, and then left at five o'clock to meet his mm. wife for, yeah. for tea. Um, I don't think he was ever not that person. I've never had a bad yeah. story about Paul. He was a, a great eccentric, wasn't he? Yeah, he was eccentric. In real life, and uh, yeah. and that's no no bad thing. He yeah. ploughed his own furrow. Um, Lover I, of I dogs as well. Yes, he did love that. He dedicated his book to his dogs, didn't yeah. he? His dachshunds, yeah. yeah. Which is very, very sweet. Yeah. Um, I, I go back to, if I'm feeling in a Paul slash Black 7 mood, I always go back to the last five minutes of... Blake, which is the last episode of Blake mm. 7 from 81, just to see that scene and that, that, those final lines which just always just bring a tear to my eye you know? mm. have you betrayed us? have you betrayed me? is it true? Avon, it's me, Blake stand still have you betrayed us? Neither do I. I set all this up. Yes. Avon, I was waiting for you. 
Blake may have sort of uh, weighed him in after all yeah. they've been through, you know, and that just it's just heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's kind of hammy, but it's it's wonderfully done. Mm. And I, I always get this slump in my throat when I see that scene. Mm. You know, it really is great stuff and I can't believe he didn't go on to do more of that yeah. sort of calibre of stuff in the future I love the fact you don't see him being killed and he goes out on a smile yeah. Yeah. in that precisely it's, 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 a, it's an incredible end to an incredible series mm. and why he didn't go on to do bigger stuff I just don't know he's great 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 actor I mean he, he had the looks as well he was yeah. a very handsome leading actor you know. he, he was playing for like Tom Baker was and, and John Pertwee and actually, um, Patrick Troughton, playing for a TV screen that was 12 inches, 15 inches diagonal. Mm. They knew how to play for broadcast television in that era. Mm. If you play it now on a 4K TV, which is huge, of course, Paul is slightly overwhelming. But, you know, mm. with big stereo sound. But in those days, when it was a little box in the corner of the room, that's the kind of performance you needed to play in yes. science fiction in an action-adventure series. You yeah. needed to play it large. Yeah. But he played it large with a certain Shakespearean quality. Oh, yes. His diction is beautiful, the way he speaks. Rich and fruity voice. Mm. Certainly in, in Time Mash, playing Tekka. Yeah, it's <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> Let's not forget, that was revenge for yeah. Colin Baker's performance <laughs> in Blade 7. You know. And deservedly so. Yes. But he did it as Laurence Olivier, yeah. playing Richard the <laughs> in the, Well, you can see the, the 1955 film yes. version with... Uh, Larry, um, he based his performance on that. Yeah. But Colin Baker seems to blame Paul Darrow for the fact that Time Lash is awful. Paul Darrow is the most entertaining thing in Time Lash. <laughs> if it wasn't I for Paul Darrow agree. being in it, we wouldn't be watching it. It would be as dull as ditch water. <laughs> It'd be like Horns of Nine without Crowder. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So well, yeah, here's, here's to Paul. Here's, here's to Paul. Yeah. Yes. God bless you. And it's, Absolutely. it's always awful when our heroes start to pop off, and it's it is I think a particularly bitter pill to swallow. Not just because um, Paul was one of our all-time favourites, uh, just as a great character in himself, but so many have died from Blake Seven and yeah. Gareth Thomas, yeah. twenty sixteen, not that long ago. Jackie Pierce, yeah. just, just last year, not yeah. you know less than a year ago, and now all of a sudden Paul, and it's like. I know, I was watching Blake 7 when they came out on DVD a decade ago. They were all still around, and they could all still talk about it, and then suddenly, bam, bam. But it was nice to see so many um, people, and sort of heavyweight people, weighing in. And mm. um, Dan Hodges, who writes for the Mail on Sunday, uh, is a very good journalist, and um, he said, you never see the sort of moral ambiguity that Paul Darrow played as, as Avon much on, on TV now. I thought that was a really great way of summing it up, moral ambiguity. Well, he's the anti-hero, isn't he? Yeah. It? Yeah. It's just you can't really pin him down. Mm. And a bit like Tom Baker's Doctor, the reason you like him is because of his charisma. Mm. He's a charismatic person, but he's not necessarily a nice person. Well, some would say those who follow New Who, not that we do, but... Um, um, Capaldi's Doctor was similar in his first series. Mm -hmm. He was kind of playing the same, uh, an unpleasant character who you can't help but love. Not quite like Colin Baker, who was just an unpleasant character. Mm. Stop. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but it's kind of this anti-hero, kind of old-fashioned way of doing things. Mm. Right? Trying to sort of, sort of flip over the expectation and, and be um, a baddie, but a baddie that you can't resist. Like the Bill Hartnells, for example. Similar. 
Because yeah. I like that animated series Rick and Morty, which is about um, uh, an older scientist guy who is very irresponsible and takes his grandson off around the universe having high japes and adventures, but essentially his grandson doesn't enjoy this particularly. <laughs> and I think it's strongly based on Hartnell or Avon or that sort of yeah. anti-heroic character. Mm. Mm. Well, we'll certainly miss Paul, um, and uh, we will be revisiting um, Blake Seven, um, particularly the work of Paul Darrow, in the future. We yes, will definitely, we will indeed. Uh, in a different form and a different shape, but we will a be different time, different place. Yes, yes. but. Uh, I hope uh, you will be watching a few episodes of Blake 7 uh, over the next couple of weeks. Do let Lift us know. Lift a glass to Paul. Lift a glass to Paul. Um, and, yeah, watch a, watch an episode called Gambit and have a few beers and watch that. And let us know what you think. It's got Deep Roy in it. It's got, it's, it's got everything in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. It includes uh, uh, Paul Darrow eating cornflakes and spitting them across the camera lens. It's, it's absolutely outrageous. Classic TV. It's, it's great stuff. It's what great it's all stuff. about. Um, so all the best we, we, bless you, we, we, we miss you Paul wealth is the only reality and the only way to obtain wealth is to take it away from somebody else wake up Blake you may not be tranquilized any longer but you're still dreaming my name is Avon I don't want you with me, I don't want you following me. Understand this, anyone who does follow me, I'll kill them. You know what they say, no good deed goes unpunished. Wake up now or sleep for good, the choice is yours. What's the matter? Is staying alive too complicated for you? Blake takes risks to help other people. Sometimes people he doesn't even know. One day that great big bleeding heart of his will get us all killed. It's superstitious half-wits like you who hold back every advance we make. Don't kill him. I waited for him. No. He's mine. No. Don't stop. Well, as you always say, villain, you know you are safe with me. Well, now I might just blow your head off. Are you afraid that I'll be able to cope with it better than you? <laughs> no. Well, perhaps you ought to be. Paul Darrow was in an episode of Doctor Who back in the early 70s, as we know, mm. which was Doctor Who, that's DR Who and the Silurians. Yes. Which was the beginning, pretty much the beginning of the, the Pertwee era. Yes. Which we know is uh, renowned for its action and adventure kind of slant, uh, which was, I think, uh, um, all thanks to a bunch of chaps uh, known as Havoc. Oh. Which ah. was the, the company owned by Derek Ware who was a, a, an old-school stuntman who mm. brought in uh, like-minded gentlemen to help him sort mm. of, um, bolster uh, the, the sort of the numbers and produce um, uh, immediate results when action and um, stunts w were required. I think Barry Letts did jump in at some point and say, well, look, Doctor Who has to become uh, a bit different. Mm. We're now earthbound. 
So we'll have uh, sort of James Bond is all all the rage. Yes. So we need some car chases. We need some yes. some thrills mm-hmm. and some spills. And the Havoc chaps were the guys drafted in for the job. And that's what we're going to talk about now. We are indeed. We in can... the Time Lash. Ooh. Do you know, I've got a soundbite for that. <laughs> Let's have it. Oh, but it's all arranged. The Maynard and I have important things to discuss. Yes, Doctor. to hear his voice again. Oh, Thank you for that, Charlie. It is, not at all. Oh. So, so, so Havoc. Now, Havoc were a bunch of chaps. You know, mm. We love them dearly. But um, we need to talk about, um, I think, what is what was their greatest hour, their, their, their best mm. Doctor Who moment, because they, they began, I think, officially in Ambassadors of Death ah. and ran through to around Sea Devil's time. Did they not do stuff for um, Spearhead from Space, then? Were they not involved in I that? Don't, well, they didn't have a, the invasion. a credit. No. They weren't credited mm. for that, but I think that some of the guys, right. some of the chaps were around. Derek Martin certainly was in Invasion mm. and Web of Fear, so I think they've been around for a while, but they weren't sort of brought together as the collective until, officially, until Ambassadors of Death. So. Did they did Havoc form as a consequence of the connections in Doctor Who, or was it just a coincidence? It's a good question. I don't know, but I know that, that Derek Ware was was the the uh, the governor, shall we say? Right. Uh, Why uh, didn't he call it Be Beware? <laughs> <laughs> beware. Watch your back. <laughs> Havoc is a pretty good brand name. Though. It is. Try Havoc and let's slip the dogs of. There wow. we go. There we go. The, the name of this pod is that, is that mm. Pedro too. Um, uh, I'll tell you who says it. Christopher Plummer says it in um, Star, Trek, Star Trek four or five or six. The or seven. undiscovered country. <laughs> and there's two Shakespeare quotations there. The undiscovered country is from the "To be or not to be" speech yeah. from Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. The undiscovered country from "Whose born no traveller returns" puzzles the well and makes us rather bear those ills we have mm-hmm. than fly to others we know not of. Fantastic. Thus, conscience doth make cowards of us all. And the law. <laughs> <laughs> and um, cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. Do you know that one, Sam? Yeah, I do. Go on. I don't know any more of it. Oh, no, where's, which, which place? Hammer um, the Fifth, isn't it? No. no. Um, I'll give you a clue. It's set in 44 BC. I've just titled the bloody... Yeah. <laughs> I've, just, I've just titled the bloody podcast that, and I can't remember, sorry. Yes, The Undiscovered Country. Um, which is actually a very good film. It's not half bad. Christopher Plummer is in it. Um, with all the Shakespeare quotes and everything. Mm. But it's about, it's about the Berlin Wall. Ah, right. The Undiscovered yeah. Country is about the fall of the Berlin Wall. Is it? It's well worth going back to see again, if you can. We won't who be plays in the Eric Honecker in it? No. Who's that character? Okay, no. Eric Honecker, the, the, the chap who was um, president of uh, East Germany. I think it was a man. Yes, that's right. It was the first Star Trek film I think I, I saw it in, in the cinema. Was it 1990 or 91? No, 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 no. I saw it in, in Lancaster. 89? So it would have been 92 or 3. No, not, a, not as late as that. It was about 91 oh, no, because that was I was friends... one after, sorry, I beg your pardon. I saw it with my friend Gavin Birchall, who's later became a, um, a, a pharmacist. I'm pretty sure that Christopher Plummer doesn't appear in... Uh, we weren't friends after 94 because um, we fell into different circles doing our GCSEs in 92. So, so that happens. must have been 91. Let's sort oh. this out, shall we? Look, yeah. um, Star Trek V is the one you're talking about, isn't it? <coughs> now, the one with Christopher Plummer is, is a Star Trek V. That's no, Star, Star Trek VI. Six. Six. Is it six or is it seven? Six. Six. Is well, it called The Undiscovered Country? The Undiscovered Five. No, oh, no, no, The Final Frontier is five. 
Yeah, the Final Frontier is the one that Shatner did, which is rubbish. Yeah. In 1989. Where he's trying to get up a mountain to begin with. Yes, rubbish. Mm. And then um, Undiscovered Country is the last one with the original lineup, all yes. of them in it. Yeah. That's right. They're all in it. They're all in it. Um, and that's Even a good Forrest Kelly before he died. And and David Warner is in that. David as Warner. The Klingon. Well, I saw it in Lancaster, and I started in Lancaster in, in uh, September, October 91, so it would have been 92. Or three. I think it was 91. late. Ni- I think 91. it was like ninety-one. I think it would have been Christmas ninety-one. Could have been because I um, think it was ninety-one. Um, I was at a birthday party for that, so I saw that one was about ten. Yeah. So and it was it was it was a thrilling ride, and I saw it fairly recently. And I couldn't believe how polemic it was, Greg. Yeah. It was very much about. Um, I need to read communism. A very entertaining. It's got film. the Blu-rays. They're, they're, they're patchy, aren't they? But that's a, it's a good film. Mm. It fits the um, even ones are good, odd ones are bad. Yeah. Yes, it does actually. Yes. Format of yes. the track, the track films. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it, my, apart from the first one, which I adore. Apart from the first one, which is, which is, is a masterpiece. Actually, people. the search for Spock is not terrible. I rewatched it more recently. I was. It's not great. It's but a drop. It's better than I remembered it being. It's not. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's okay. not as good as Khan. It's not a patch on Khan. Khan's a great film. Uh, but people really do not like Star Trek The Motion Picture, and I don't know... I don't it's, get it's it. It's dull. I love it. The end. The last half hour is really good, but the two and a half hours before that is just... I think it, it looks great, but it's it beautiful. Just, it's boring. It's the just, soundtrack it's and the photography. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it looks beautiful, but it's yeah. dull. <laughs> Did <laughs> Visconti direct it? <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> but we like that kind of shit. Well, I, like that. Death, I like Death in Menace. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I can go around to the corner shop and get my milk and buy some fish and chips and not miss anything in the film and come back and sit down and carry on. Yes, it's exactly. Great. It's mm, film. Still nothing has happened. Anyway, yeah, welcome back to the Star Trek <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> but you were talking about um, Shakespeare, yeah, Shakespeare, which is is, is heavily involved in, yeah. in Star Trek. And, the Dogs of War is related to Havoc. Yeah, indeed. And Havoc is what we're talking about. Well, we, we had to have unit, and unit meant soldiers. Mm. And soldiers mean people tumbling and falling off buildings and, and getting dying. shot. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and for that, you need some some hard nut kind of guys for the job. And that's what uh, Way was, was providing. So, and so what's their background? Who was on yeah. screen? Yeah, who, was, who did we get? Well, who, who do we get? You know, I mean, we all have our favourites, I think, you know. There are. It's the same company of guys every time. There's um, there's Stuart Fell. Oh yes. Uh, there's Max Faulkner. There's uh, Alan Chance. Uh, there's Roy Scammell. Mm. Uh, there's um, Trevor Martin, mm. uh, who went on to do uh, EastEnders, I think later on. Ah. Um, what was the stuntman? Uh, Derek Martin. Trevor oh, Martin. Martin, yeah. different, right. Trevor Martin was Doctor Who on stage. He wasn't indeed. Ah, right. Time Lord in the right. War Games. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've all got our favourites, but you know, for me, for me, the beating heart of Havoc is Alan Chance. You know. Chuncey. Chuncey, Chuncey is the man. Did know? they call him Chuncey? Yeah, yeah. They did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, awesome. he was he was uh, what Taylor Parks would would describe as a nineteen seventies. Egg and chips and HP sauce, yeah. filth. Right. A real down and dirty working man, you know. Yeah. Really kind of uh, sort of uh, a real kind of trencherman, a real uh, a grafter. Mm. And he would do. He, he wouldn't do. You know, there was nothing he wouldn't do. Basically, I would imagine. I can't. I'd love to have been there on that initial interview with Derek Ware, You know. So, Alan, tell us what you, why you think you're suitable for the job. <laughs> we'll do it or do fucking anything. <laughs> 
wonderful. Can you start Monday morning? <laughs> You're in. So it's that kind of approach, you know. I'll give it a go. I might end up breaking my back, but I'll still, I'll still fling myself off that building. You know, there was no kind of um, pussyfooting around. Mm. And for me, one of the best, one of the best moments. Um, is uh, in Inferno. I mean, in, we'll talk about Inferno a bit later on, but when Roy Scammell shoots himself off the top of that, <laughs> that, gas, <laughs> that gas tower, it's him with a gun and him at the top doing the dive onto the, the cardboard boxes. And that's the sort of approach. Yeah. Can you do this, Roy? Yeah, of course I can. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to think twice about it, you know. I'll set up my own cardboard boxes, I'll do the jump myself. Fine, yeah. Jobs are good and pucker, sorted. And that was all it was. It was that kind of make do and men kind of, you know, have a go approach, which is, is so uh, impressive, really, when, when this is all pre health and safety. You know? Yeah. They didn't give a, give a monkeys about it, just mm. get on and do it. Mm. Um, again, I'm going back to Inferno, uh, Chansey um, was, was clipped by, by Bessie in one scene, Inferno 3. Took his leg off pretty much. It was a very really? nasty gash. Really? Yeah. Pertwee was upset about that. He was. He felt very guilty. What about was he that. driving? Yeah, Pertwee yeah. was driving driving best at the time, and I think Alan uh, slipped and uh, didn't get out of the way in time and was, was clipped. <laughs> and it was a very nasty gash. But mm. within in a couple of days, he was back on his feet doing Come. doing good stunts again. Doesn't Pertwee tell the story? It's always very difficult with Pertwee because his stories over the years became grander and grander. Mm. But his his story about Chunsy is that allegedly. Um, his leg was gashed open and Chance said, no, we'll do it again. <laughs> and, and he did it again and then got in the ambulance. Yeah. And that's the take you see. And that's why he looks kind of feeble before he's hit because he's fucked before he gets run over. <laughs> I, I can believe that. Chance! <laughs> you, you can just imagine, can't you, you know, the Havoc team coming in with a pile of grapes going, you <laughs> get, get well off, soon. Get, get off, darling. Get well soon, son. <laughs> and there's there's a wonderful piece of uh, film, isn't there? On one of the Blu-rays or DVDs of the the Havoc lot. You'd like this, Greg? I like it. And they're all in a shower together, <laughs> like a rug, rugby lot, aren't they? And they're all like bollock naked, aren't they? Like, and it, it is. No, it is. It's like it's like a proper kind of like erotic kind of scene, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're all like um, drinking pints in the shower. It's, pretty, it. it's the most macho thing I've ever seen. You know? It's like it's a sort of Football team, isn't it? Basically, Derek, yeah, like Derek Jarman did that uh, documentary, did he? <laughs> <laughs> it is like a rugby. They're like a rugby lot. They're the, 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 what would you call it? Like, the, what would you call it? Like, the, 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 uh, yeah, it's like this sporting life, isn't it, or something like that? Like a scrub. It, 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 it just smells of jockstrap. I was watching. I, I can't even imagine walking into that room. I'd have to back out. It's just yes. too much. It was so competitive. Yeah, so two alpha male. I think you see Chunty's buttocks. Yes, you do. Yes. Yeah. But, um, viewers might know um, Chunty because he played the driver in. I mean, it's, this is getting away from Havoc, but he played the driver in uh, Seeds of Doom. He did. That's right. He um, did. That Tom roughs up. It's, it's, it's a brilliant. That's his only credited role. Is right. the uh, chaser's uh, chauffeur. Does he have yes. a line? He does. No, he does. We're going somewhere nice and quiet, Doctor. We know know where you are. Something like that. Yeah. And then he gets he gets kiboshed, and then oh. Sarah Jane runs off into the quarry and shouts uh, this um, amazing line. Down here, cloth eyes. Are you blind? <laughs> I mean, that to me is a great moment for some some internal monologue from Chunsey. Like, <laughs> That bird just called me cloth eyes. What, what does that mean? <laughs> I've heard cloth ears before, but, but not cloth eyes. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But I don't like it. 
I better go and rough her up. He goes down the sort of the, the, the slope, and then the doctor arrives, jumps off this tower, yeah. and knocks his teeth out. <laughs> End of scene. It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's classic chunts. Mm. But do you think the thing that Havoc brings, and I've always noticed this, and in the stories which Havoc aren't involved in, they, they always look like extras that can't really stand straight or hold their guns. And as soon as Havoc comes in, it looks like the fucking Navy's arrived. Absolutely. Because yeah, so they're, they're, they're really... I mean, I could never perform like Havoc do. They just throw themselves off cliffs. They, there's a scene, isn't there, in um, uh, uh, the, the, the mind... Might of evil, mm. when there's a load of ropes that are thrown down a wall and they start to climb up the wall oh, yes. and they go up that wall like rabbits. Yeah. Bit of a castle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like ferrets up a pipe. Gosh, you know, and it's like those those guys look like army men, which they were. They're ex-army yeah. men, aren't they? You mm. know, or navy, whatever. Absolutely. Um, whereas if you if you had like Dave, Jan, and Bill, you know, f- from the extras agency, they go, well, I can probably hold onto the rope, and that, and that would be me. <laughs> you know, I, I yes. could probably pretend to like stand and pretend to be a soldier, and then I'd be back home for. Fish fingers and tea, you know. I might break my leg. <laughs> get a stunt man to do this. Um, if you want to see an example of soldiers looking shit in one of the best Doctor Who stories ever made, watch Remembrance of the Daleks, where they, where they can't even stand to attention or stand at ease. They can't, though. They can't do there it. There is a Corporal Jones in Remembrance of the Daleks. They all do, and the one at the back. Mm. Oh, well, yeah. half day. Mm. <laughs> whereas, you, whereas you watch Havoc, they're on it. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. It is professional standard. Mm. Maneuvers, pretty much mm. the same with Web of Fear. You know the Covent Garden uh, sort of skirmish. You know, it's it's clearly these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, there's there's Derek Martin there. There's uh, Terry Walsh. That they're, they're, they're clearly, um, you know, they've seen some action in the past and they, they know full well what they're doing. Going back to um, to the team mentality and the fact that they're all sort of like a, a bunch of football. Hooligan, no, football players or rugby yes. players, but they, they are what we probably call now today. It's an American term, isn't it? But they're, they're, they're campus jocks. That's what they are. Yeah. They're, they're the kind of guys in the showers with the towels that would whip you with them. Oh yeah, all right. And all together, that's yeah. quite a toxic, you know, combination. Well, it is. Those Ooh, guys, toxic very... masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It is. But, not, not but like they that. are proper blokes, aren't they? Yeah, and, oh, but gosh, you've yeah. got Chelsea on one hand. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like <laughs> the, the the defining kind of you know, down and dirty kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, you've got people like Roy Scammell, who's a six-foot blond Adonis. Yeah, yeah. Of, shall we say, fluid sexuality, you know, who who would come into the pub after... Fluid sexuality! is, is you know he seems he seems to me to be the most comfortable with his feminine side. You know he isn't quite as as, as rough and tumble right. as the rest of them. Mm. I can't. I just I think a ladies' man. Though, I can't it? imagine them together in the pub. You know, yeah. Ch- Chancy and, and Scammell. What would I know Scammell from? What, what would, what, what, what? Well, here's a guy who jumped off the ta- tower in Inferno. Mm. He was the blonde one. Right. If you ever see a bl- blonde stuntman, okay, that's Roy Scammell, who is. Who is fearless? Yeah, he really is amazing. Very handsome. Mm, I'm yeah. sure I've noticed. Good shape. Um, and you got like you got like the others who are a little bit. They look basically like um, extras in Z cars, like broken noses, don't yeah. they? <laughs> always got a fag in the corner. Chancy, he's always got a cigarette in his. Hey, hey, he's basically <laughs> Chancy. If you remember, if you can imagine Parker in real life, it's yeah. Chancy. <laughs> All right, Lady Penelope, just going to pull the fab one up for you. Come <laughs> right. on, darling, let's get fancy. You know you yeah. want it. A little bit of chancy. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's a... 
He's, he's an appalling cockney. He's, <laughs> he's marvellous. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. <laughs> but he's fearless, as you say. Absolutely. But Stuart Fowler is like, one of the ones we all know. And he's got the, had, did he have lines? Always yeah. had lines. He never got for Centauri, didn't he? But he didn't have. Yeah, and I think he had a line in, in uh, Sunmakers. Yeah. And when Tom Baker goes, oh, wake up, wake up! He's the guard who, who wakes up, and that's, that's Stuart ah. Fowler with his, his mask off. He's like, in loads of stuff, though, isn't he? He is, but he was the one who had circus background, so he was, you can he tell. was doing the, the tumbles, tumble yeah, turns. Yeah, you can tell. And that was his shtick, I think, throughout. He did uh, tumbles in Paws of Axos, mm. and some tumbles in Seeds, uh, Sea Devils. Mm. If there was a short one who was doing a backflip, that was Stuart Fowler. Right. So he's, he's, he's king of the backflips, is he? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think they all had their own, their own kind of, um, their own sort of niche. His death in his the... His niche uh, stuff. I mean, Scammell would do the... Claws, his Do the high, the high falls, and um, uh, Stuart Fell would do the backflips. Hmm. And Chansey would do fucking everything else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Not, yeah. not fussy, not fussy. Uh, but so how come they, they ended up staying in it long after Havoc wound up then? Because, well, I'm, sorry, maybe I should ask why did Havoc wind up? I mean, I imagine it was quite expensive. Yes, that was the that was the problem, I think. Mm. Is that it, just it looks bloody good, though, doesn't because it? Because I think that, that, that Derek was, as you would, you know, you've got a professional bunch of, of performers, mm. of, of, um, of actors, stuntmen, doing their bit, mm. risking their lives on a daily basis. You know, they're going to need a certain amount of... Dollar to make that worth a while, yeah, and that became too expensive. You know, yeah. there, there was more money to be spent on special effects without these guys. Isn't that interesting though? Because that's exactly how it would be yeah. done today. Yeah. Is you would outsource all of your action to a stunt team. That's right. Mm. That's right. You would never go. Oh, we'll we'll get the resident BBC stunt coordinator in. That's it. You know, Johnny, that's just come off Dad's army. Mm. You know, it actually Doctor Who looks more expensive for having havoc. Do yes, it does. Well, it does. the it action does. sequence if is magnificent. The, if you watch the, those set pieces, the Masters of Death and, and the Minds of Evil, you know, yeah. it's brilliant. Yes, you know? and you get this bit of soundtrack behind it. You get Nicholas Court in the middle. You know, mm. it, it really is. It supports uh, Nick. It makes Nick look better. Support, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But that was yeah. that was the whole point of the unit was to make it more action packed and make it more James Bondish. Mm. Yeah, and that's that was what we were told to do. And, and let's face it, that saved the show. It does, but I think we lose something, don't we? Because Nick looks very comfortable in Ambassadors of Death, particularly. There's one, there's one very good shot where he... It's a low-angle shot looking up at Nick in a warehouse, and he does three gunshots. Left, I think it's oh, left, yeah. centre, right. Yeah. And around him, Havoc are doing all the jumps and the leaps, and he just really lifts it. Suddenly we get, you know, the next season we go to Terror of the Autons, and you've got Richard Franklin blinking when he's firing a gun <laughs> whilst holding a can of cocoa. And I'm thinking, this is not Havoc. Yeah. It's not... It's doesn't have that. Well, you had that wonderful stunt in Terror of the Autumn. Ah, well, well, yeah. well, that is that. That is a in itself is a, is a story that um, mm. that Terry Walsh, dressed as an Autumn, was yes. was pro- Terry Terry Walsh. He was propelled from the top of a steep scarp slope, which yes. is test geography GCSE for you. Uh, down this down this 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 scree, um, but I think he was hit too too fast. He was hit too heavy. And it was it was literally it was it was forced off the top of this this, yeah. uh, this slope and rolled down the bottom. Of course, just in character throughout. Yes. Got to the bottom, was basically unconscious, but still kept on going. Amazing. So I haven't said, said cut yet. I'm going to keep on going and start mm. making his way back up. Yes. Up the slope as the Auton. He was concussed. But he was totally out for the count. Really? Yeah, I mean, what a professional! What a professional! Yeah. He just kept on going no matter what. 
get the take, then get hospital. I, I, I still remember watching that the first time I ever saw it, which would have been, I think, 93 when the video came. Mm. I can see it now, now in my mind's eye. But just, just, but, but just thinking it was, it was definitely a dummy when I was watching this. Yeah. I thought, it can't possibly be a person. Be. And then he gets up and asks, yeah. it really did. Honestly, it blew my mind the yeah. first time I saw that. I just, it was incredible, that stuff. There was a crim- criminal element to that, though. Um, was it Barry Letts who was directing? I think it was, wasn't it? Bar- Barry Letts directed that episode? Hmm, might have been. It may have been. Um, in the edit, it is criminal, and you'd never do this now because it's such an amazing stunt. Mm. You watch it back. It's an amazing fall, and he goes all the way down. They cut to a reaction shot of Pertwee, I think, looking at the scene, and then it cuts back to Terry Walsh getting up and walking. They should never have done that because what that's just exposed the possibility that it wasn't actually a person that did it. Yeah, yeah. And they, they cut it. They actually, there is a cut. Oh, the memory cheats because I don't remember the cut. But it, um, I'm sure you're right. But it's unnecessary because mm. it, you think they'd have cut it not for, for any other reason apart from time. Mm. Probably because Terry was fucked. He was like on his back going, right, I need about 10 seconds just to fucking regain my consciousness yeah. and get on my feet. Mm. But in terms of television, it's like, nothing's happening. It's still there. Yeah. So they. Reaction shot to Doctor, back to Auton. Auton gets up more dramatic. But in terms of watching it, you're thinking, I want to see that in all one take. Absolutely. And they I'm, should have had the gall to keep that. I'm sure Terry Walsh was disappointed that, that they didn't do that. Yeah. Because it made the whole point of getting up and keeping moving redundant. Yeah. Just do it afterwards, yeah. do it as, a, as, a, as a cutaway. Because I assumed, to be honest with you, Greg, when I was a kid, I thought it was a, a mannequin. Yeah, that's what I thought. And mm. the, the reason I thought it was a mannequin, because they cut away and then it was a person oh, getting right. up from okay. the ground. Mm. Which is what Doctor would always would have done, the cheap alternative, throw, throw an empty Cyberman off a building and then cut to whatever it is, you know, on yeah. the floor. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what these stunt yeah. do. I mean, you look at something like that, I think if I did that, uh, it would kill me. Yeah, it would it, you would die. Definitely <laughs> kill me. Yeah. Why doesn't it kill them? What are they made of? Because they know how to fall properly. It's the yeah. thing. They know how to take sort of the force out mm. of the, you know, out of the fall to avoid breaking their backs. It's like a falling out of a, of a plane, you know, yeah. or, or with a parachute. You know how to hit the ground. If you don't, you'll end up breaking your legs. Yes. You know, you'll be fine. It's, yes. it's, it's just yeah, sure. it's, it's impact, damage limitation, and making sure that you're, you're okay at the bottom um, are because they're professional guys. Yeah. Um, it's a real skill. It's not just falling over. It was well, exactly right, yeah. But I, think I said to you before that I think that after a while it became too expensive, and after, I think, Axos... They were phased out a bit. They were, they were far less prevalent. There was le- there was far fewer set pieces. Axos feels like one of the last ones, which was like the unit action story. Mm. After that, it's more like unit are in the background supporting Joe and Doctor's adventures. Yeah. Whereas before that, it's the unit ensemble, isn't it? They're very much always in the action. Very much. And they start backing away as early as that, I think. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. But I think also it's it's a lot of it was to do with. Um, uh, although we will, we will rain back on, on sort of the ensemble bit, we'll still use bits of the Havoc family yeah. know, here and there. People like Derek Ware were still used, mm. Stuart Fell, Max Faulkner, they were still brought back singularly. Yes. Max Faulkner pieces on famously the was in Android Invasion as the, the soldier who walks off the cliff that's right. in episode one. That's, that's, right. a, that's a very good stunt as well, isn't it? Yeah. So... How was that coordinated then? Were those people hired through Havoc as individuals or were they freelance on their own? I think they were freelance. I think once once Derek was told, we no longer require your services, you know, sling your hook, All right. um, the rest of them 
were like uh, every man for themselves both the work yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah which is a shame which and, is a shame and Terry Walsh came in sort of pounced and became the next stunt coordinator he replaced Derek Ware um, you know what, what a rotter but that's what he did it was there was a gap in the market and he he, he filled it that's yes. a shame I mean it's one of those careers as well it's um, you have to have something to fall back on because it's quite a short career it's like being a, dancer. a sportsman or a dancer yeah, absolutely. or a piano tuner you know you can't do it <laughs> you can't do it for <laughs> years milkman. Yeah. Milkman. <laughs> yeah. you can't do it for decades can you there's a certain shelf life to it yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah, but these, so guys, but these guys did. Gigs these, guys well, did. So. these guys did. You know, Stuart Bell was 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 doing it well into his his fifties. You know, yeah. he was about for for for, eight, for for years. I mean, was um, was somebody a stump stump person for Thora Heard? <laughs> 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 well, we know that, uh, that Stuart Bell was the, the stunt arse for Katie Manning, don't we? In the, uh, uh, the Sea Devils. Yes, going up the ladder. Once he goes up the ladder, that, that's mm. that's uh, that's Stuart. Yeah. And, so and it, it was also uh, with Jameson jumping through the window in. When Cheyenne ah. was also Stuart, and you can tell full well that it's a bloke. <laughs> it's a bloke in a dress. So <laughs> all those naughty boys don't perv over those bits. Yes, yes. You might end up a wrong one. Naughty, naughty. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sam. So, have we met any of the Havoc guys? Uh, yes, Sam and I met Stuart Fell. Okay, come on. He's deaf as a post so now. We had to write his, yeah. our names down for him, didn't we? Yes, he was a lovely fellow. Really? Yeah, because he can't hear anything. He's, he's, I think it must be all the explosions and bangs yeah. and whistles that he's been close but to. He, 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 he was nice to have him shout at us in, in a very nice way, not in a sort of an aggressive <laughs> way. But hope you're enjoying it. I'm just going to sign here. Yeah. Because we'd even written our names. What's your name? What's your name? <laughs> I think you said Sam. Samuel. Dan! <laughs> yeah. It was a bit like that. But it was, it was lovely. He, yeah. he, he, shook his, he shook our hands. Yeah. Uh, I think I said, oh, you you were in the Curse of Peladon. And you went, yes, I was on television. Yes. I was like, oh, okay. very good. Very good. I was five, lad. <laughs> <laughs> so, how about you? You missed that bus now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was very sweet. I remember walking away and Greg going, Well, that was an experience, Sam. Um, but I imagine in the 70s he was very good in bed. He was a as before, though. He could certainly juggle his balls. All right. Good. Bum, bum. Now, Stuartville's been to our, our house. Has he really? Because really? I, I lived in uh, Home of Earth when I was a kid. which is summer wine country and Stuart Fell was the stunt double for Billowing as, oh, as combo yes. wow night. and they filmed at our house in 1981 for the story The Odd Dog Men and he was there and of course we took some days off, off school me and my brother you know it was a, yeah. a, a feigned illness and, uh, uh, sort of the bronchial trachea was giving me a little bit of joy. so we, <laughs> we watched the whole thing it was great to, to see the whole thing and, and of course we were behind the cameras which is where the stuntmen were there was a stunt double for uh, Peter Salis as Clegg and the stunt double for Compa. And I remember the, the, the Clegg double saying to, to Stuart Fell, Come on, man, you've got nothing like him. Sort yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he was too, far too big for, yeah. for, uh, for Bill Owen. Bill Owen was, yeah. was, was only a small chap. Yeah. Um, but 
course, it was 80 when I was, I was eight years old, but of course, Stuart Fell's little toothy grin is unmistakable. I you recognised him. Later in the, later years, I, I thought, well, that did God is Stuart Fell. Did you know him then? No, I had no, I, I had no idea who he was, but ah. it was him, because I looked back and yes, he was a stunt double. But it was that grin, those, those teeth, that, yeah. sort of, that wide, titter tat cat grin that he used to give. And do, can you can you get the episode on YouTube yes. or anything? Oh, well, wow, I've got it on, on, on Doofda. Yes. Oh, I'd love to see it. Uh, absolutely, right. Do you, yeah. your folks still live in that house? No, no, oh, they moved on in 2012, but yeah. uh, for many years that was a family home. Gosh. Um, but I remember it was just it was a really delightful afternoon watching them film that yeah, Paris gosh, place. It must be. Great. Um, and it was amazing how Did you um, meet Nora Batty? No, it was just Copper Foggy and Clegg. No, she wasn't there on that scene. Uh, they were chased up the road by a, um, an old English sheepdog, which was a Julep's dog at the time. That was the very same dog. Um, and they had to control. The dog was being coaxed up the road. Um, and they were, the idea was, or the, the, the skit was, they were being chased by the dog out of the house and they'd get into the back of a horse box, which would then take them away. Um, mm. But of course, they couldn't, they couldn't outpace this dog. The dog would, walk, would, would run past them every single take. Mm. Particularly Brian Wilde couldn't run. He was very, yes. very. Um, Slow mm. for a man who, in his late forties, was was kind of uh, unusual. But he really couldn't get any pace up. He was very, very slow mm. on, on his feet. So it took him take after take after take to get this right, to get them ahead of the dog in the back of this horse box. So I don't think that Stuart Fell was actually used that day. I think they, they, mm. they didn't need him, but he was there hanging around. So you met Brian Wilde as well. Well, Brian, no, we didn't. We didn't meet the cast. They were there. Mm. So you've seen Brian Wilde. Oh, Brian Wilde, Peter Allison, and. Um, um, Below and have been, you know, down my parents', you know, Gosh. front uh, front steps. So that, yeah, they were around, but we weren't, we weren't, we didn't meet them, unfortunately. Sure. Got some autographs, which we still have now. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So it was, it was a, a treat. Yeah. In '81, mm. to, to do that. I bet it was. But Stuart Fell was there. Yeah. Yeah. Hung out with Stuart Fell yeah. on and, the job. And Ice Warriors star Brian Se- uh, Peter Sellers. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Yes, he was there. He was there. I think Stuart Fell is like possibly the most recognisable then. What an incredible name for a stuntman. <laughs> Even to this day yes. it makes me chuckle. <laughs> there's, a, there's a word for that, isn't there, where you sort of have a name it's that... nominative determinism. That's it. <laughs> hey, well nominative determinism. Very good. They're good stunts. They're good, good, it's stunts. all good stunts, but I, mm. again, I think that their, their, their finest hour is definitely season seven. Yes. And the crowning glory from that season is, mm. for my money, is Inferno. You have a whole array of cunning stunts. Shall we? Shall we? Oh, very good, yes. <laughs> oh, should we activate the time-space visualiser? That would be a good idea. Let's press the button. Here we go. The time-space visualiser. I mean, I know one thing about this, Greg. Mm. I know that Inferno happens to be Charlie's favourite Doctor Who story. Yes, Absolutely. yes, it is. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a behemoth. So I think I, facts that we all know. Who else better to introduce it well, than you, Charles? That's very kind. Thank you, Samuel. Um, I have to say that the reason why I love Inferno before we start is is because of the jeopardy. And I always, mm. this is an old story that I bang on about. But when Doctor Who is at his best is when there is risk, when you think that, that these characters may, may end up dead. Yeah. There's no kind of yeah, sort of um, easy get-out, no, no uh, quick return button to press. That, that mm. There is a risk here, that there is, there is jeopardy. And here, more than any other story, I think, in Doctor Who's canon, 
the jeopardy is, is real because we know we are in a, a parallel universe, a parallel mm. sort of uh, space-time continuum, and they may end up dead. Mm. And that, to me, is why it's so powerful. But in, in short, we, we end up with... We start with Doctor, the Doctor working on the, t- the TARDIS to try and rebuild it or to make it work again in um, what appears to be a, uh, a project, this Project Borehole, they're drilling into the Earth's crust to try and drill down to the centre of the Earth to tap the unsourced you know, power that's there. Um, it's been uh, driven by a guy called Starman, who is quite clearly bonkers, <laughs> and is driven with this, this uh, burning ambition, no pun intended, to get to the bottom uh, of this hole and, and sort of uh, re- reveal what is, he refers to as Starman's gas. That will, that will help. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> that will, will obviously it's untold uh, power for the world and will re- 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 uh, replace um, fossil fuels and this is fine with the Doctor as far as it goes it's Doctor Who in this it's one? John Pertwee oh. it's his first season thank you very much <laughs> you're expecting it surely <laughs> <laughs> shall I start again <laughs> <laughs> I always expected him to go, oh, I know him. That's <laughs> like, normally always. I, I like that. Oh, the name Clark, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. <laughs> and this is fine because the doctor can, can uh, tap into the. Um, Mischievous. Tap into the, uh, um, uh, the power source that's dri- driving this, uh, this project uh, because units are, are, are being drafted in as the uh, security guys. Um, and then during one particular uh, power surge, the TARDIS console is shifted into a parallel universe, mm. which is similar mm. to ours, but, but different in many ways. Mm. It's a, a, a Nazi totalitarian, totalitarian uh, regime. Mm. Uh, they're all a bit um, sort of uh, military. Uh, the Brigadier's got no moustache and, and one eye. Oh, wow. um, so it's, it's, it's the same, but different. Mm. Um, so we know full well that, you know, that it's, it's kind of... It's, um, uh, they're characters that we love, but they are characters that we are told... Not to love, because they're a little bit different, a little bit uh, rough around the edges. Um, and in that parallel universe, the, uh, the drilling operation is that much f- further forward. And we see the uh, Penetration Zero. Mm. Ooh, mate! <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Penetration Zero, that's pretty much every Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, same old, same old. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and, of course, the, the Starman's gas is released, and <laughs> the world ends, yes. <laughs> Uh, and the question is, can the Doctor get back to his, his normal continuum uh, to warn uh, the people in our world that it's uh, a bad idea, mm. that it's not a good idea what you're doing? Um, so it's, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of, it's, a big, it's a big set pieces. It's a big, um, dramatic premise, uh, and it works like a beauty. Uh, my my favourite episode ending is episode four, I think. Is it the no, countdown? No, it's a countdown, yeah. The countdown, yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, can we have a, a snippet of that, perhaps? Oh yes, absolutely. I know the one you mean. So just before people listen, it's the uh, it's it's cut beautifully with jump cuts, isn't it? So That's right. It's a jump cut zoom. It is. It is. Okay, is let's that, have a is listen. That the screaming out its rage is at the moment. Zero minus one minute, zero seconds, and counting. Final countdown commences now. Come down here. Zero minus fifty seconds. Stand by. Hear what I said. Come down here. 
Zero minus 40 seconds. You must stop this countdown before it's too late. Do you hear me? You must stop it. Get Giga, shoot that man now. You can't do that. It's just murder. If you break through the Earth's crust now, you'll release forces you never dreamed could exist. interesting about that is you actually still hear the audio as the title sequence is running as the numbers are counting down so it cuts to Doctor Who John Pertwee that's right and 2-1 yeah it's very very dramatic it's 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 melodrama it's it's ramped up to like 120 it's it's ridiculously over the top this is the end of the world yeah and the Doctor is pleading with mm. those around him to stop what they're doing you're destroying yourselves you know it, it really is in terms of the, amazing in terms of the production though Charlie it's mm. it's very bold because and I love it I think it's I think it's one of the best cliffhangers of all time as mm. well but to say the best cliffhanger out of Inferno there's three and they're probably the, all three are probably the best Which cliffhangers the from Doctor Who yeah, I mean yeah. Inferno is, is full of them but um you would never get a cliffhanger like that mm. from 1969 stroke 70 it was made in 69 broadcast in 70 wasn't it yeah. you would not even get that in Doctor Who now because no. it is so fast well, it's click 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 the cuts are very quick I was going to say if they, if they made it now it would be some sort of really ham-fisted over-the-top anti-fracking message or something like that you know that they would get a real gung-ho with it wouldn't they and have these all, all these woke activists waving placards and stuff what are the main threats you see it as you see it threatening this country oh there's no question of threats i mean it's finished it's not do you really this is your pessimism coming through again finished. i mean why is it more finished we are bankrupt non-sovereign uh, robbed of our, of our culture and our past. We have no power uh, mm. to save ourselves. The next proper history of this country will be written in Chinese. Finally, do you have any optimism whatsoever about the future of Britain and what we could become? No. Why? Why should I? I mean, ridiculous. I mean, if, if, I, if I turn out to be wrong, it'll be a pleasant surprise. If I turn out to be right, I'll be prepared for it. So pretty bleak. In between the crisis and the catastrophe, we may as well have a glass of champagne. But I think it is not. I can't do that. I'll be called a champagne socialist, but you, you feel. Well, free. I don't suppose that's really much of an insult anymore, is it? <laughs> I thought it was the Tories who weren't allowed to drink champagne. Maybe not. I don't know. I've, got, I've had worse. George Osborne's rule. You know, that's what it. That's what it would be now. Just take the drama out of. But in terms of. Um, um, the di- the direction and how it's cut together and, and vision mixed. It's very fast. Douglas Canfield. Mm. Dougie Canfield yeah. uh, uh, and Barry Letts cutting that together. Together, yeah. I think, at the yeah. time. So quickly. Mm. I don't think we ever got those jump cuts again for a, a long time. I think that it was not until um, uh, in the 80s yeah. under Graham Harper. Yeah, Androzani. Androzani, that yeah. we got the jump cuts again. Mm. Um, there's jump cuts, of course at the end of Blake 7 mm-hmm. where you have the jump zoom and they're really difficult to do in a studio environment because you need about three cameras to do it the sure. timing has to be perfect yeah. and that takes a lot of rehearsal but so Graham Harper was the next one to do it in Doctor yeah. Who Gosh. Ambassadors of Death do it as well yeah. The, yeah. there's the jump cut in Ambassadors of Death mm. I, I, I think it's when the mask comes off ah. and there's 
there's a zoom, but they're, they're jump cuts. Bang, bang, bang. Yes. Yeah. It's always threes. Yes. It's always in threes. Yeah. Yeah. Spielberg yeah. is always credited in, in the movies, much later, like Jaws onwards, yeah. for doing the three-stage cut, but it's not. It's, it's, it's been done since Chaplin. It's yeah. the Inferno, or Chaplin. It's the rhythm. It has to be in threes. Mm. Yeah. But I think it's also because, uh, like Tom in, in season 12, it's John Pertwee still finding his feet. He's still mm. not too sure what he's doing with the part. He's still finding the right the right path through this. And, mm. and for, for that reason, I think it's um, you know it, it really is uh, that there's danger to it. Yes, and that I think is, jeopardy d- does help. Just the, not, mm. not not just the, the story. There's danger in the performances. You know that that these guys are they're still trying to assemble uh, you know an approach. And I think that John. John is great in this. He really is great. There's, there's a yes, scene that is. really uh, still gives me the willies, but certainly did the first the, the willies. Oh, the willies! <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw it, and indeed every subsequent uh, scene since. It's when um, John Pertwee as Doctor Who. Um, he's in a cell and he's lying on the bunk with, with one knee up, naturally being John Pertwee. And uh, the chap next to him, indigestion is it, old chap? And he later becomes like this werewolf thing and bends the bars and gets through into Doctor Who's cell. And every time I see that, it is really, really creepy. Because you see it coming. Yeah. You see it. But the makeup's really effective. Yes, that's right. There's that scene. And also, Mm. going back to the Havoc guys, um, we've got Derek Derek Ware on top of the the, uh, the gas um, uh, tower. and there's him and John Pertwee facing off, mm. and just watch, just watch how, how Derek Ware moves. He moves, and it's animalistic. Yes, he does. Almost yeah. pounces, sort, sort, sort of chimpanzee kind of yeah. Yeah. side to side, isn't it? And it's so yeah, wonderfully it's, done. It really yeah. is professional. It's, mm. it's thought about it. It's yeah. planned it. It's, it's yeah. rehearsed it. He's and dribbling it, and everything, yes. isn't he? It's just the way he moves mm. is so it's so primal. Yeah, the way he's primal, doing it. That's the word. And that's the whole point of the, mm. of the story. Mm. Yes. He he buys into it completely. Yeah, and that performance is. It's it's a team of people working together and just doing their their, their a game. It really is it's you memorable, know, done properly, and mm. it's it's so effective. Isn't it interesting though with Inferno that uh, there's no there's no score. It's I think it's all ambient sound oh, from yes. the it's Radiophonic Workshop. Is it the Delium Mode or something? Mm. It's called the sound, yeah, that's right, the yeah. music, yeah. and also. We have that, but we also have this incredible mix of sound effects from from the primords. And I don't know if it's the stunt crew's voices being modulated afterwards or if it's laid on by somebody else. Mm. But the, when they scream and they shout, it sounds very strange. It's like a dog. Yes, it is like a dog, mm. but it's snarling. kind of harmonised, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's strange. And the other uh, very fascinating choice that they make is when they're in the actual drilling plant, is to keep the noise of the mm. drill on yeah. during the scenes, because it's hard sometimes to hear the dialogue over the yes. noise. But... It makes the characters much more frantic. I think of sort of Derek Newick sort of shouting his yes. lines because he's struggling to make himself heard over this yes. racket. And it, yeah. and it does definitely ramp up the tension. But my God, sometimes when you're watching <laughs> that, you're just like, oh, it's just too much. Yeah, it is. It's excessive, isn't it? And it's in a brilliant way. I mean, oh, yeah. Derek yeah. Newick is outstanding it's in intense. that. And that's that romance as well between mm. Derek Newick and Petra. Which yeah, bubbles Sheila, along. Sheila Dunn. Sheila Dunn, who was... Um, Duncan uh, Canfield's wife. Yes. Um, I believe still with us, isn't she? No, no, no. Did she die no, last year? Long, long gone. Long gone? Oh, about 20 years ago. Really? Yeah, yeah, she's been gone a while. Oh, right, okay. That's as um, Derek Newick, sadly. Oh, right, okay. Mm. When did he go? Oh, late 90s. 
It was right. very sudden, heart attack, I think. Right. Because they're, they're both together really good. Oh, they're so old. I mean, there's a chemistry as soon as they appear together. Yeah. You know there's yeah, something. Yeah. I knew that as a 10 year old. Yeah, I mean, I picked up to telegraph yeah. that. And they're is wonderful. It's yeah. difficult to do. And Christopher Benjamin, who is, of course, is an outright <laughs> in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, 100%. He's, he's wonderful. <laughs> uh, but he's glorious. Gold, isn't he? Yes. And he's yeah. great in it as well. So there's yeah. a Newark, Christopher Benjamin, yeah. Sheila Dunn. Yeah. Um, and Olaf Pooley. Olaf Pooley, oh, who was great to mention of. Olaf Pooley. Yeah. Olaf Pooley is, is um, like a proto-master in a way, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's... he's uh, if you ever look up <laughs> in the dictionary, you'll find <laughs> Pref- <laughs> Professor Stahlman next to it. I yeah. mean, he is... And Benjo. And Benjo. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when your liver plays you up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but he really gives John Pertwee a run for his money, doesn't yes, he? he? I does. mean, it's like mm. Pertwee's got, really got a difficult one to face off it here. Does, it does, it's an outstanding... In his spare time, uh, Alan Pooley would, would uh, he would uh, write scripts for the Children's Film Foundation. Did you know that? Oh, no, yeah, that was a lovely guy. Apparently, yeah. Well, he's a very talented man. He was an artist, wasn't he? He's was a curator. That's right. Um, Collected antiques. Yeah, he did. Um, very private man. It was one of the end. One. <laughs> there's a wonderful interview. He's the oldest with him. lived Doctor Who actor, isn't he? I think. No, he's been, there's there's a lady who was in um, something who's I think now exceeding him. Gosh, really? Yeah. Wow. yeah. Was that Mar- not Margot van der Berg? I'm not sure. Uh, Marco Polo. There's, there's a very, very old woman that was a Doctor Who. But uh, he um, he was interviewed uh, a year before he died, I think on his 101st birthday or something. Gosh. In Is Australia? So he went into acting, with credits going back to radio in the 1940s, then to theatre, to television. Oh, good heavens, you're going to ask me about this what show. I was in Doctor Who. Olaf Pooley appeared in the early episodes of the sci-fi series, and Doctor Who fans remember him. They may even come to the airport art walk to see what he's creating now. So what advice would he give to those seeking his century of wisdom? To make up your mind what you, what you really feel you should do with your life, and then do it. With that, we asked to come back next year on his 101st birthday. <laughs> All right. Oh, I like that. <laughs> this, but to him, it was like years ago. Yeah. I mean, 1969, he recorded this stuff, yeah. you know. But the thing is, it's such a fucking good performance on such a high-profile show, mm. which has stood the test of time. Oh, yeah. You, it's a shame that someone didn't say to him, yeah, I know it was a long time ago, but in the context of what's been done since, Absolutely. it stands very highly. It, it was also in uh, The Sandbaggers, episode one of The Sandbaggers. What's The Sandbaggers, Charlie? Well, the Sandbaggers, a YTV production. It's um, Roy Marsden was the uh, uh, oh. the chief actor in that. It was 1978 or 79. Yes, indeed, the very same. Mm. It's great. Honestly, check it out. It's on network DVD. It's a brilliant series. Yeah. It's basically it's like the... Professionals before the professionals, or around the same time, ah. but they're kind of like the, the real professionals. If, if things go tits up, if someone falls behind enemy lines mm. and they need rescuing, mm. get in the sandbaggers. The guys who are dispensable but are professionals who will go and do the job for you. Mm. And it's 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 brilliant, but it's it's wonderful in terms of it's setting. Um, uh, we do a lot of stuff in uh, sort of the Eastern Bloc, and it's all filmed in Leeds in the, oh, the late seventies. Right. I need to see this. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great series. You'll love mm. it. You'll love it. It's a bit, a bit sort of a bit a bit Sweeney, a bit yeah. sort of. Um, um, do you have it, yeah? Van der Vaart. Yes, I have. Yes, can I borrow it? You may indeed. Thank you very much. You'll, you'll love it. But the episode one um, has Olaf Pooley playing. I think it's a Norwegian oh. diplomat. Right. 
uh, playing the nice guy uh, for a change. So it's nice to see yeah. sort of the two sort of facets right. of, of, of his performance. He doesn't have a goatee and a white he roll does, neck. He does have and a white gloves. Green hand. Green flask. He has a goatee, I think, but it's, it's um, a flared brown suit. Oh, fantastic. Oh, wow. It's 78, come on. Uh, <laughs> any break. great actors in, it, in that episode? Jean Boat? Jean uh, Boat wasn't in that one. I'm oh. sure she was in one later on. But, uh, <laughs> That's good to know. Richard Vernon's in it, I think. Mm. Um, oh, Richard Vernon. Yeah. But it's Simon McCorkendale crop up? Oh, come on, Dan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. That's great. So o- Olaf Pooley wasn't just a one-trick pony. That's he he was other stuff as well. Yeah. Right. He's a fantastic actor. In that, mm. though. He, I mean, he's very good. Uh, he's he's so strong. Mm. So strong. You know? I mean, there's so many things to commend Inferno, isn't there? It's the photography, there's a script writing, there's the performances, there's a the soundtrack, there's the stunts, there's the pacing. It's seven episodes long, I believe. It's a bit long, yes. But at seven episodes, it does not stretch its, its storytelling. It doesn't feel like the, it sags to me. No, there's a little bit of fat, I think, but... I don't feel that being critical. Yes, yeah. I, for me, it's fine. Mm. It's seven episodes. I mean, you could break it down to two fifty-minute episodes if you wanted to, but I, it works. I, I can only think of um, Christopher Benjamin. Terence Dix would have been involved. I'm trying to think of anyone else involved who's still with us. All oh, right, who's? Um, who is the production designer, Charlie? Uh, we've got, <laughs> well, no, we've got the... Um, L'Officiennes. L'Officiennes. There's our... There's our tits up, yes. It's a sign of guilt or beer bottle lids. It's all gone chancy. Let's have a look. So we've got Inferno. Who else was involved? John Levine, obviously. Oh, John Levine. Oh, who could who could fit John Levine's Richard the Third? Yes, indeed. It's a wonderful game. Pat Gorman, of course, was in every Doctor Who. He was in it. Just died. Yes, last year he died. Ian Fairburn, and now he's Ian Fairburn was in the Invasion. Ian Fairburn was part of Dougie Cumfield's company, I think. Oh, really? Yes. Right. Also in. Uh, with Dennis Quilly, time slip, time slip. Oh. Um, David Simeon played Latimer. Oh yes, he looks like. Is that the one? The boy who looks like you in the Demons. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, David Simeon. Yeah, he, he he plays the presenter of BBC Three. Oh yes, him. Yes. With, can Professor Porner pull out his plum? <laughs> um, and he looks exactly remarkably like, like me. <laughs> It uh, doesn't help that I wear his clothes. <laughs> well, actually, his clothes. <laughs> Literally. I have a lovely mustard roll neck. Disgusting. Unfortunately, this doesn't actually show the... Back. Walter Randall. Is he still about? Mm, don't think he is. Uh, uh, very much doubted. Unfortunately, I don't have the backstage uh, technical crew here, but I'm sure the people have so involved... One or two. One or two, but not many. It's, it's Havoc's greatest, greatest moment, and it's mm. also Derek Ware's greatest moment, because that, that scene on top of the gas yeah. tower, I think, is brilliant. Um, I mean, in terms... It's BAFTA-level performance. Mm. Look, I've... Any real Doctor Who fan that does not have Inferno in their top five isn't worth knowing. Yeah. And so, in terms of... When we, when we start to say our Tardai out of five, I think it's going to be a pretty safe bet. I mean, <laughs> shall I go first? Uh, five out of five for oh, me. Yes. Indisputably. Yeah. I'll give it a six. Ah! <laughs> 
so, 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 great piece of work. Great piece of work. Yes, we love it. We love it. So, anyway, um, we're, we're, we're now out of the time space visualizer, and we're just going to tag on to this episode before we leave, uh, which uh, is against the norm, uh, against the line at the end of the show. Indeed, so, yes, Charlie, you, you have one for us, don't you? Yes, I, I, I do. It isn't a Havoc story. Okay. But it's a story that involves um, a stuntman who is close to all our hearts. Okay. more than that. Mm-hmm. On, on Windrush Day. <laughs> wink, wink. Today is Windrush Day, apparently. Ah, right. It's Charlie's persona. Where it is. Um, it's on Grinder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not on Grinder. <laughs> on Twitter. Oh, sorry, it's that one. <laughs> the difference between Twitter is Twitter's when you Swipe. put out a tweet, whereas Grinder is when you. What is it you do on Grinder? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> And but, never the twain yeah. shall meet. Well, I should hope so. Yeah. But it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a, a hard one. <laughs> it's quite a hard one. I, I would hope so. Speaking of... <laughs> hard, yes. That's what we want, isn't it? Yes. Okay. okay so let's, have can, it. let's have it. See if we can get this. Okay. It's quite a short one. Right. Ah, here, here it goes. That's what they say on Grinder. <laughs> it's hard, but it's short. Just ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the line. Oh. Have a swing in time. Strange girl. Oh, I know it. Oh. I know it. War Machines. No. Oh, oh that does sound familiar. Strange girl. You should know it, Greg. <sighs> have a swing in time. Strange. Is it all one line? Well, he goes, he goes, have a, have a, have a swing in time. Strange girl. Ooh. It sounds almost like dimensions in time. No, it's not, though. I'll give you a clue. Go it's on. Black then. and white. Black and white. Inv- inv- uh, invasion? Nope. Okay. What was here? No. Earlier. War machines. Earlier. Earlier. Mm. I said war machines. Did you say it's, war machines? It's, it's hard. Is it the war machines? Not war machines, no. Mm. <laughs> Have a swing, swing in time. time. Sounds contemporary then, because. Mm. 60s. Is it the first three minutes of Unearthly Shark? <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's something you've got on vinyl. How's that? Oh, it's, oh. oh I know. It's, it's, it's got to be bloody uh, Dalek's master plan, hasn't it? It would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, mm. it is. Um, which one? Is it Feast of Stephen? It is! Oh, wow! Hey! Because oh. that, that's set in present day, isn't it's it? It's the policeman oh. to Sarah Kingdom. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised oh. you didn't choose a more PC line, like, let's get out of here, it's full of... Which is <laughs> is that actually still on the you record? Did choose a PC line. <laughs> line. Constable said it. Ah, <laughs> uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, isn't that lovely? You know, <clears throat> felt very Macho and Butch going into the Havoc yes, world. Chancey, um, but don't worry, he's buttocks. Because in the next episode, we're away from all that rugby buttocks and all that splashing each other's. With wet towels, we're moving on into the You'll world. Be of... Reading too much, E.M. Forster. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, old boy. Because next episode, we're moving into books and records. It's the cozy world of vinyl and pages. See you soon. Christ for that. Well, more in the next exciting episode of Doctor Who and the Complete Menagerie, almost. <laughs> Indeed. of that!
Martin! If you enjoyed listening to that twaddle, you can follow us on Twitter at DW Menagerie. That's at DW Menagerie. And we'll be tweeting various photographs of our inside leg measurements and that sort of thing. Doctor Who is copyright of the BBC. No infringements on copyright are intended. Support Doctor Who by purchasing DVDs and CDs and all other media from the BBC. Any comments made by the complete menagerie, <laughs> almost, are all our own. You've been listening to a Sixth Floor production. I'm forever able, as it were.